0: Or toll free at 888 382 7502.
1: You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 1067 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hump day. And guess what? Lance? You got your kicker.
2: Yes! I got a commitment. Let's go, baby. I've been waiting for this forever, man. We literally have not gotten a commitment from fe- since February 25th, man. February 25th. We've been waiting forever, and Auburn finally got a commitment, and I'm not going to complain, man. It's, it's a kicker, and not only that, it's literally the best kicker in the country.
1: I didn't expect that type of reaction. That went from 0 to 100 very quickly. People
3: listening, I hope everybody's okay driving right yeah, now. Yeah, I expected it, uh rest in peace earphone users you know i'll say
2: it i'll say it. it's hump day it's middle of the week it's blazing hot outside people may be falling asleep a little bit in their cars you need to wake up we just got alex mcpherson all right
1: maybe in the podcast i should go back and edit in like an alert your eardrums may get you know proceed with caution your eardrums may get blown out in the next second just a little bit of a, a warning shot there that was great though I love I'm, the
2: energy. I'm genuinely excited. I told y'all, all I'm waiting for is the first guy, and I'm gonna feel really comfortable. And we'll get to it later in the show. But there's probably another guy that Auburn's looking at right now that could be potentially committing tonight to the Tigers. Really excited about the recruiting trail. At the end of the day, though, you think about it. After Auburn potentially gets both of these guys, they might still be sitting at 14th in the SEC. But I don't care. This this coaching staff's finally gone out and done it. They're getting recruits in the summer. They might That's get up to
1: ask if they get. Mike O'Reilly Ducker tonight and we'll get to that later hold but back still, yeah still hold back yeah 13th you know that's more because Uh-oh. of volume but right. the class does look a lot better if tight end Mike Riley Ducker does commit tonight and things definitely do look like they're trending in Auburn's direction based off of crystal balls and future cast that pretty much changed this morning and he commits this afternoon at 6 30 but going back to 2022 kicker Alex McPherson brother of the great florida kicker who is now playing for the cincinnati Bengals. like i said there's your commitment lance and seriously this is exciting but we do have to pump the brakes a bit it is just a kicker but what does this guy bring to the table because it looks like he's got an iron leg
2: well auburn has had a prestigious track record for the past i would say decade at kicker, I mean, they've had some incredibly consistent guys that have been put into the league. Now, how successful? That. Come
1: on, give some credit to Wes Byram.
2: Okay, fifteen years. You, wanna, you yes. would you think that's comfortable. All right,
3: fifteen years, dude.
1: Honestly, Be Auburn's kicker. Be careful going wrong with that. Oh, come on. There's still Al Del Greco, John Vaughn. Okay, I, John Vaughn. I <laughs> still
3: don't forgive him for the, <laughs> the uh, LSU game.
1: Don't you mean the USF game?
3: What game was it that he missed? That when did
1: John play? Vaughn Yeah, but then play? he came back in and made it. Because yeah. remember, there was a penalty flag. We won the O four. Tiger Bowl
3: no I'm talking mm-hmm. 05 I believe oh yeah that one was But not John good.
1: Vaughn was a solid kicker
3: he was yeah. solid just don't be hating his most memorable moment is not good
1: Cody Parkey repping my Cleveland Browns yes sir it's more than just the last decade it goes back
3: another Cody and now I'm not trying to just be negative about Auburn kickers but Cody Parkey I feel like my biggest memory from him is missing that kick in the uh national championship but Cody Parkey was a solid kicker in
1: the NFL I would say now give Daniel Carlson some time because he's he's really his career's taking off right now in the NFL yeah, at the moment is. but Cody Parkey has rekindled his career since what happened in Chicago and he's doing some solid things with the Browns he's not one of the best kickers in the NFL he is still in the middle of the pack but he has carved himself out a nice little career in the
3: league because he's been going since what like 2014, 2015. I thought his career was over after the double doink. I really did. I thought Cleveland,
1: where dreams are born, isn't that where he started his career? He did not start his career with Cleveland, but he did have a stint with the Browns prior to the doink in Chicago, and then he's now back with the Browns once again, out of the ashes. Cleveland, (laughs) we are a place of dreams now, not where not where quarterbacks go to die, where kickers are are born again. You know, but still let's bring this back seriously this guy brings an iron leg to the table Alex McPherson the number one kicker in this year's recruiting class according to 24-7 sports I'm sure many people have seen a video circulating around on social media this guy drilled a kick where the ball was spotted where he was kicking it from it was not being snapped from this location but he kicked it from like the 45 yard line in a game smashed it through the uprights
2: Pretty solid kicker. Pretty solid kicker. That's an and, understatement. And Auburn has again; they've had a, a a tremendous track record as far as kickers go. If we're kicker, you, I could just say since the dawn of the program. But I think that's a little extreme. But uh, Auburn's Auburn's had really good kickers At least in their the history. Since the 80s, yeah, in their history, they've had some pretty solid kickers, and this guy should just be another one it's it- interesting to note though the Carlson brothers they were both like six four six five this guy's only hundred and fifty five pounds according to 24 seven sports so I don't think necess- so he
1: actually looks like a kicker
2: yeah he actually looks like a kicker so I don't necessarily think that 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 physical like like size or anything like that matters as far as whenever you're going to kick a field goal I just thought it was something interesting to point out is he's not going to be trucking anybody Auburn will no longer have a power forward kicking field goals for them it'll be like an actual like kicker sized player so if he if he's talented though hey I'll take him really excited to have this guy on roster for Auburn to land the number one in in, in any at any position I think is exciting even if it is kicker so excited about that I, I I don't think that it's it's like the end of the world like Auburn's Auburn's like winning the national championship because they got this kid but I think it's definitely exciting whenever you pick up the best kicker in the country
1: well it's future after Anders Carlson graduates which we could see the end of the Anders Carlson career at Auburn this year because he is a senior now granted he's got two more years of eligibility because of last year's rules revolving around COVID everybody gets last year back but this will be his fourth year inside the program so if he has another year like he did last year which I would like to see him make all of his extra points because for the last two years Anders Carlson has missed an extra point but he was still 20 for 22 he was kicking 90 percent last year which is like a 10% increase from his sophomore season, which you go back to his freshman season. He was 15 for 25. Every single year, he's gotten better. And if Anders Carlson, you can stretch that back to the 2019 Iron Bowl where he made the kick right before halftime, he has been really solid since that moment. Now, prior to that kick in the Iron Bowl, he was not doing that great in 2019, and he definitely wasn't good as a freshman. But this year, he's a Groza candidate, just like he was last year. And that could mean draft pick, or at least getting onto a roster in the NFL next season. So I wonder if he decides to move on or if he takes another two years. But regardless, this is the kicker of the future, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, I'm really excited about McPherson. Just to look at Anders' numbers really quickly. In 2018, he was 15 of 25 overall kicking field goals. In 2019, he was 17 of 24. And then, as you mentioned, he was 20 of 22 last season. Something interesting to note, Auburn only played 11 games last season. But that's what? That's the most that's the most field goals made by Anders in those three seasons it's interesting how to compare like the way that Auburn's drives went and how and how how efficient they were on offense uh in in those in 2018-2019 to 2019 compared to 2020 in a shortened season they were kicking more field goals and making more field goals I think that's something interesting to look at um but but yeah Anders should be a candidate for the Groza this year Auburn's again Really prestigious school whenever it comes to, to cranking out really talented NFL-caliber kickers. Uh, Anders should most likely, like you mentioned, get drafted if he has another really good season this year And McPherson- well, What's
1: unfortunate for that scenario, though, is this is a loaded class of kickers in college football. Right, right. And not that many get drafted. So he could still be an excellent kicker or a draft-caliber kicker and still not get drafted because there is more of a supply, which is going to ultimately mean that not all of them are going to get drafted so I'm not going to say that he's going to get drafted but I do think he's draft caliber and will end up on a roster and get a shot
2: do you think do you think uh the NFL I I, I would assume they care at different positions do you think the NFL cares at all about the fact that he's six foot five
1: Anders yes I don't know I think it's more just about can he knock it through he made
3: a decent tackle against LSU on a kickoff last year so if he it's. I think it's more about his athleticism, to be honest. I mean, I don't know. I don't, he's not that athletic, but
2: well, I'll just say If two, he can move a little bit, 2018, sure. we saw that athleticism on full display in the Iron Bowl, and it was there. There wasn't a whole lot to, uh, there oh, true. to be desired. So. Honestly,
1: I don't think NFL teams care about that nah, whatsoever. I don't, I don't think so. Either. I, think I think they care. A,
3: do you make
1: ninety or eighty five to ninety percent of your field goals, and do you make all of your extra points? That's the mark
3: you want to hit. I think it's a plus. Sure. They're like, sure, if you can save a touchdown on it. Then again, kickoff. Adam
1: Vinatieri had twenty-something years in the league. They yeah. don't care about. They don't care about athleticism. You could have a fifty-year-old man out there if he can make ninety percent of his field goals. They'll keep giving him a contract. So I, I don't think that's really what they care about. They just care about consistency and making sure that you're not a head case. Which a lot of times you see kickers, kickers have are. one or two bad games, and then their career really. Takes a really bad direction. I think that's kind of you look at Anders Carlson, Anders Carlson's brother. You look at Daniel Carlson early on in his career with the Vikings. That's why he was out of a job pretty quickly because he had a couple of bad games. The Vikings said, "We're not, we're not dealing with this." And you know, I look at my Cleveland Browns. I saw that with a few kickers here and there. I mean, they they do not wait on kickers in the NFL. Parky. They really don't. There's a there's a supply of there's a there's there's an infinite supply of kickers, and now not all of them are consistently going to put it through the uprights but if one guy's obviously not performing on a, on a short period they'll let you go and they'll go find somebody else I mean because they, they're not they're not expensive you know so I, I think it's more about just their consistency of putting it through and I think Otters Carlson has to put another year like he did last year and if he does that then he, he'll be a he'll be a sought after kicker for next year's draft class but let's get away from the special teams talk because that's not sexy Let's talk about Michael Riley-Ducker, the tight end. So maybe we're moving just slightly to a, to a less a less boring position, but still kind of a boring position. But the tight end position today, Auburn has got a recruit committing today. Michael Riley-Ducker, decision day at 6.30. He'll be announcing it on his Instagram, maybe at like 6.25, something along those lines. I remember seeing him tweet it out. Things have trended in Auburn's direction here.
2: Yeah, earlier today, uh, Auburn had, I believe it was six crystal balls uh, on twenty four seven sports, go their direction. Let's see one, All two, seven three, four, total f- seven total. Seven total. yeah Auburn's yes. way, but six, six of, them of them were
1: put in this morning.
2: Yeah, yep yeah. So is, Auburn, obviously trending in a positive direction for this guy. Initially, I thought he would I think I said it on like either, either yesterday's show or or on Friday that I still thought that he was an Iowa lean. But wake up this morning, and apparently that is
1: not the case. Well, that's significant because you look at the crystal balls last week, and even a couple, or even as far as yesterday the lean was iowa and on his crystal balls the, the rating in which the confidence was was like a 2 or a 3 today it's all auburn and in the average is like a 6 right. borderline 7 right so there's some serious confidence and that confidence came in today
2: right and yeah. today's decision day yeah Let's look at it, taking a look here the only crystal ball yeah every single crystal ball that auburn received today was at least a 6 uh, some of them were a seven but but it, it averages it averages out somewhere between a six or a seven we've talked about this kid before on the show how athletic he is how excited we are to potentially get this kid six, six 235 rivals has him listed as a four star 24 seven sports has him listed as a three star number 15 tied in nationally number three th- uh three player uh, in Nebraska in the state of Nebraska so it's it's definitely an interesting piece and something that I do want to point out is that Iowa was pursuing this guy uh, pretty pretty heavily and for Auburn to beat him out uh, beat beat the Hawkeyes out to potentially get this kid I think says something because you look at Iowa's track record we talked about this before on the show about how how many NFL caliber tight ends they put into the league and how successful they've been in doing that for Auburn to go and steal that steal this guy from them I think is significant I think it does uh it is a testament to how uh well this coaching staff could potentially recruit in the future and We've also talked about the coaching staffs, you know, their philosophy and their strategy when it comes to recruiting in this first season is they're not necessarily going for the talented in state guys. They're kinda going around the country, kind of spreading it around to see who they can pick up out of state and they could get a guy like Riley Ducker. I think he could be a he could be a piece moving forward that Auburn wants. Something else that you and I have briefly touched on is is moving forward. How does Brian Harson recruit his type of player and how does this roster shift to a Brian Harson type roster uh, away from some of the type of recruits that Gus Malzama is recruiting I'm not saying that's bad but obviously I think there is going to be a shift in the type of players that Harson gets because of philosophy on offense and defense and I think this is one of those first guys that we'll see is it, it's a different breed of player I'm not necessarily saying it's a better type of player or a worse type of player just a different breed overall
1: so I went and looked up the limited amount of film out there on Michael Riley Ducker and on his 24-7 sports page, of course, these are highlights, but the first highlight that you see of Michael Riley Ducker is him catching a pass and trucking a dude in the end zone and then dropping down to get in his face, kind of like, yeah man, what's up? And you you watch his play in this highlight tape of his of his junior season and a lot of his highlights and even in, in the in the film that he put up on his Huddle film it's like lots he, – he has like lots of pancakes or something like that with a couple of emojis. And it just his highlight film was all about him just like either A, mossing people for receptions, or B, just like trucking over dudes and in the, in the blocking and in, in run blocking and whatnot. Now, granted, I'll, I'll assess his run blocking first because I do believe that he's got the potential to be a balanced tight end in Auburn's offense moving forward. But he's a little rough around the edges when it comes to blocking techniques not all the way there but I'll tell you this he finished his plays hit the guy that he's blocking will end up on the ground most of the time and now a big part of that he was bigger than who he was blocking a lot of times but he was his usage in his high school scheme at least on that junior film was he was lining up in the slot there was not a whole lot of attachment to the line of scrimmage he was really just kind of being used as a big slot and so he was blocking a lot of defensive backs, which if you look at his frame at 6'6", 235, he ought to be trucking all of his, all of his cornerbacks and whatnot. He didn't always look extremely comfortable run blocking, and sometimes his guy would end up making a tackle and whatnot. But I, I still think that there's room to grow there as a blocker, especially when you're looking at his frame, and he moves really well. Where I see a lot of upside for this guy is, is his ability to route run, his ability to catch passes. He's got some good open field speed. He was actually able to outrun some of the defensive backs that he was going out up against. He's much larger than the average DB that he was playing against, and that will remain true in college. I mean, he's six foot six, 235. He's going to be bigger, but I also think he's got a bit of the speed needed to maybe even give him more of a matchup or a mismatch against some of these cornerbacks out there who, who he won't be faster than the corners, but I think any little bit of that extra speed added with his size and strength even further makes it a mismatch against cornerbacks and linebackers both guy was able to was able to catch the ball at any level, whether it was a deep ball, whether it was over the over the middle in a seam or something like that, or whether it was out in the flats and he knows how to use his body. This is a good tight end. I, I think that this is legit and if Auburn actually does get him this afternoon, like like all the things that you just said, this is a this is a good trend in the right direction for Auburn recruiting where they desperately need some momentum.
2: I'm not saying that he's Eric Gilbert, but do you see some Eric Gilbert type qualities in this kid? As far as his route running, I don't even want to take it that running? far
1: because Eric Gilbert's an elite category, but. He definitely is a pass catching tight end. If that's if that's the comparison that you want to make,
2: yeah, I was. I'm not saying I'm not saying that this kid is Eric Gilbert. I'm just saying when you look at his 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 frame and you look at what he's good at doing on the field, which is lining up in the slot and going out there and running routes and and catching passes. I'm not saying that he will even develop into a guy like Eric Gilbert. I just think that there are definitely some qualities uh, that 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 you could compare there, and it's it's an exciting offensive weapon for Auburn moving forward.
1: High energy, extremely high energy and extremely high energy player that and, and I, I don't want people to take this the wrong way but you know where there's that you know there's that joke where people say man that dude woke up and chose violence right i i, I thought that when i was watching him play because he, and there's a football term when you, and it's typically attributed to defensive players especially defensive linemen with the way in which that they use their hands in order to get into the backfield and whatnot he, he's he's I don't. I, I, once again, I don't want people to take this the wrong way, but it, it's a, it's a violent style of play. I mean, there are major, there are big collisions. He's seeking contact. I mean, he will truck. You. If you are in his way, he will put you into the earth. Now, you might tackle him, but it's going to hurt. He's going to take you with him.
2: I like that style. I like that. I mean, style he's a, play. he's a
1: tough guy based off of the based off of the film that I was able to see earlier on his highlight tape. I mean, he's a tough guy. Now, of course, that's just highlights. You don't get to see a lot of the you don't get to see a lot of the things that he could still work on and improve on, because that's, that's not what he's trying to sell himself on. But I, I do think this would be a great get for Auburn at tight end. There's definitely a level of athleticism there at tight end that I do think maybe exceeds just looking at some of those highlights. I definitely think, I definitely think that there's a level of athleticism there that maybe Auburn doesn't have in its tight end room right now. Breachly. At least the ability to move in open space, because Auburn doesn't have tight ends right now where I would say, yeah, those guys can play in the slot. Mm-hmm. This kid can play in the slot.
2: Yeah, briefly, I, I want to say something. Something that really frustrated me uh, last season, and I'm not I'm not gonna come on the show every single time and just uh, and uh, say hateful things about Gus Malzahn. But something that frustrated me is Auburn had a lot of a lot of t- talented players in their tight end room. Like they really did. I think I thought Brandon Frazier would be a lot more involved than he was last season. He was essentially non-existent. Whenever Auburn got the ball to a tight end, you know who it was going to and how it was going to them? It was J.J. Begeese in some type of gimmick role. It was gimmicky. The way that Auburn got the ball to the tight end last season was gimmicky. Same thing with Schenker. His two touchdown passes, I believe, were off of trick plays or misdirection. It wasn't just let him run the seam, run, run down the seam, let him run a route, let him actually go out there and prove what he's worth. I think this is a kid that Auburn can use in a traditional type of role that that will shift away from the type of things that Malzahn was doing I think we'll get to see this guy catch some passes in a normal way
1: his decisions coming up around six twenty five, six thirty today on his Instagram page so that's how people want to keep up with what he's doing this afternoon and what school he's going to choose it looks like it's down to Auburn and Iowa and things have turned to definitely an Auburn's direction it appears based off of future cast and 24 7 sports is crystal ball predictions for Michael Riley Ducker, the number 15 tight end of the country. This would be a good get for Auburn that's desperately looking for some momentum right now on the recruiting trail. And then I think when you look ahead and you fast forward to August 1st, I think Auburn's sitting in a pretty good position for Caden Story, the Lynette product, that's a defensive end, kind of sitting at 6'4", 260, 265, 260, somewhere around there. That's another guy that I think Auburn's going to have a pretty good, shot with, pretty good shot for. So even though Auburn is sitting at last, and I know we've talked pretty critically about Auburn recruiting right now and sitting at last in the SEC despite the fact that we have talked critically about it I do think that there is some commits coming now you still need more than what you're you still need more than just those two players of course but there could be this the beginning of a recruiting class getting put together so there there is some some good things on the horizon I think let's take a quick break here when we come back we talk about takeaways from game one of the NBA finals you're listening to on the line
2: Back on the line, Lance Stahl, Noah Gardner, Jacob Hillman behind the controls, hanging out here with you in the studio. Going to be recapping game one of the NBA Finals between the Bucs and the Suns. A really interesting game. I got to sit down and catch all of it. Normally, I don't get to catch a whole lot of NBA games, but this one was particularly interesting because Giannis was obviously earlier that day, uh, yesterday, was listed as doubtful. Uh, to go for the Bucks, and then he ended up playing and actually recording a, a, a double-double for the Bucks, but the Bucks ended up losing to a very focused and having fun Suns team 118-105. to Jacob what were some of your takeaways from this game?
3: Giannis looked good and even though they didn't win the game it, it shows me that you know our predictions Suns in six or seven might look good because I think Giannis is gonna be able to get healthier as the series goes on as long as nothing happens to him but also Looking at Chris Paul, his first finals appearance, he looked ready to go. 32 points, he had nine assists, four rebounds, and a steal. Only two turnovers. I mean, that was the big thing. I, I didn't think, I don't know, the The Bucks didn't seem like they were guarding the Suns' guards very well, and Booker and Paul. They did a lot of those switches with Lopez and, and P.J. Tucker. I really don't, I don't know, I, I just didn't think they guarded the guards well.
2: I'm going to be honest with you, I did not... I did not give Chris Paul enough credit in my mind heading into this game especially after what i saw in game 7 against the los angeles clippers after him taking over the scene late in that game and just i think it was in the third where he was really just dominating and they just kind of took control uh, to finish off game 7 i didn't give him enough credit and like you mentioned 32 points 9 assists only two turnovers i thought devin booker would probably be the guy to lead this team in scoring uh, mo- most of these games in the finals but he finished second 27 points on 8 of 21 shooting one of eight from three he was not incredibly efficient last night and Paul picked up the slack and you got to be able to think about you know this Suns team as a whole especially whenever they're going against a a healthy Milwaukee Bucks team if Giannis is going to be healthy for the rest of these finals and either Chris Paul or Devin Booker is going to be able to go off each night one of them if not both I can see the Suns taking this series quite easily and you know the meme circu- has circulated of that, that Suns fan holding up four uh, to, to that to that opposing fan and I've got that as my Twitter banner now. I'm not saying the Suns are going to sweep but they are in a really good position to do so because their guards are playing out of their mind right now.
1: You know in watching last night's NBA Finals game though there there seemed to be this perception circulating around on social media that the Suns were going to take this thing rather quickly and rather easily. That the Bucks were going to go out, but like Giannis is only going to get healthier, and Drew Holiday is not going to be, what was he like four for fourteen? Yeah, yesterday. ten points. Yeah, that's not going to happen again. Chris Paul's not going to drop thirty two every night. Now Devin Booker might, but that there was a major, there was a major, just just a gorge between what Chris Paul did last night and what Drew Holiday did last night, and that's going to level out and, and come back to equilibrium a little bit more. And Giannis is going to get better. Actually, what I saw from last night, what I took away was actually quite different. I actually think the Bucs could maybe stretch this thing out. Now, I still think that the Suns are going to win the series, but I do believe that there were things last night that happened that what everybody else was like, oh, this this wasn't close. This, you know, Suns in four, you know, like I still think the Suns take it in six, but I felt more comfortable last night thinking, well, the Bucs didn't play that well. They only lost by, what, 13, 15 mm-hmm. points?
3: They made a great run in the fourth quarter. Right,
1: I still think it's very possible as they get Giannis back healthy and Drew Holiday doesn't play terribly again that the Bucks actually can win a couple here. I think th- because Chris Ball is not going to drop 30. The guy was averaging 15 points a game this year. He's not going to he's not going to double that in every game of the finals unless he goes like 05 Dwayne Wade, right. which isn't happening. <laughs> but also at the same
2: time Booker's not going to shoot 1 of 8 from 3 every single That's game. True. And then also Jake Crowder's not going to only score 1 point per so,
3: contest. and uh, Carter was
1: horrible. I talked so highly of him yesterday. Yeah, what yeah. happened, bro? It's all about the defense,
3: okay? I, I
1: talked highly of his defense, not his offense. I didn't
3: realize he went over. It's hard to realize that. the New, guy goes that bad when the team wins. Yeah. Look, he's, <laughs> he's still convincing. a solid like, defender.
2: News broke earlier that Dario Saric, I believe he has a torn ACL and will be out indefinitely, but I don't know if he would have been a necessarily a huge factor uh, in, in these finals. He obviously would have just been another body you could have potentially put on Lopez or Giannis, but I don't think that's going to be incredibly significant whenever you're talking about can Milwaukee stretch out this series I think either way with or without Sarge they'd they they'd still have just an equal chance to do so so you believe that Drew Holiday will be able to pick it up offensively and that, that'll, that'll make this series closer moving through holiday
1: has been excellent this postseason a big he, part he of the Milwaukee assists. Bucks yeah he just didn't score the basketball well I think that elevates Giannis is going to score more than he did Giannis is going to be more effective as he gets more healthy and then you you talk about drew holiday elevating his game that's where the rest of the bucks offense will improve i mean the the defense has to step up and and granted you can make the argument that the milwaukee bucks defense won't because you look at them throughout the regular season they were not a very good defensive team honestly one of the worst in the eastern conference if not the worst from a points allowed per game perspective so the bucks elevating their defense i don't know if that's going to happen but Giannis only getting healthier can can help that, right right so I still think I'm, I'm not going to rush to conclusions thinking that this thing's going to be quick, four or five game series in the eBay finals. It never is. Unless it was Warriors over a really, really bad Cavs team, with the exception of LeBron. Let's take a quick break here when we come back. We got Zach Black of the Locked On Auburn Podcast joining us on the show. We talk recruiting and some NIL stuff with him coming up.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with you
1: on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Hillman behind the board with us today. Let's head to the phone lines now, 334-321-1390 is how you get in touch with On the Line, but not before we have Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn Podcast joining us this Wednesday afternoon, as he does most Wednesdays. Zach, how you doing today, my man?
4: Gentlemen, I'm doing well. It's always a pleasure to be on the line with you guys
1: another week and here you are in more news to talk about here we haven't really touched on Devin Barrett with you but the real news right now is Auburn Landy gets first commitment since February and kicker Alec McPherson what takeaways do you have here if any we do know it's a kicker but does this get you excited whatsoever
4: it does it does I mean I think a lot of uh, Auburn folks were a little nervous eventually having to rely on a kicker whose last name was not Carlson. We've, uh, you know, covering Auburn. We've grown accustomed to a certain lifestyle and having a, a really reliable kicker. Well, it looks like that is going to be extended with uh, McPherson. I mean, just watching some of the, uh, I mean, his kicks. This guy can kick it a long way. He can kick it where he wants to, and also, uh, I mean, very good in a uh, kickoffs at high school too. I think like what like ninety something percent of his kicks. Well, we're good for a touchback, so hard to return a kick um, when you when you can't return and when it's going through the end zone. So, I, obviously, that's going to be a big, big thing, and it sounds like it's got some positive momentum. I mean, Noah, you and I talked about it both off the air, and then you came on uh, this morning's edition of Locked on Auburn. We talked about recruiting. I mean, like you said, it's been forever. It's been almost half a year since uh, Brian Harson and his program – got a commitment and so they got a good one that's a position of need and obviously anytime you get any player that's the best at their position in all of high school football um, you take it you absolutely take it
1: still on the recruiting trail here and unfortunately yesterday when, when you and I were recording we were talking about Mike Riley Ducker a bit and I said that I thought that he was going to go to Iowa but then today six crystal ball projections including some that including some that flipped six of them went Auburn's way this morning and it's confident it's like a six or a seven on 24-7 sports for pretty much all of those so Michael Riley Ducker that tied in looks like he could be trending to Auburn your thoughts on that
4: yeah it sounds like he's going to be making his announcement tonight which is exciting that's uh that's something that I think all Auburn fans would definitely take. It's interesting. I don't think his path to playing time is is super obvious. But, hey, I mean, and you and I had this conversation. Like, is there is there a way to play early at the tight end position if he were to pick Auburn this evening over the likes of Iowa? I mean, in Iowa is a, a program that they put guys into the league like crazy at the tight end position. Auburn hasn't really – done that in fact they haven't been really used a whole lot in the passing game at all and there's a lot of college football programs that don't use the tight end consistently but Auburn fans definitely want that to be the case and I think Brian Harson um has made it clear if that is kind of what the sales pitch is to a guy like um like Ducker uh, I mean you got to think that he's showing him his his Boise State offenses where, where tight ends were involved early and often throughout the season so pretty cool thing to happen I mean I think it sounds like this is a pretty big win for for Brian Harson and the Auburn program
1: so I, I know we discussed this a little bit on your podcast but I want your thoughts on this we've talked a bit about how you know it's kind of a yellow light approach here proceed with caution when you're talking about Auburn football recruiting because it's not great they're sitting at like Outside the top 80 now at 24-7 sports, even with the kicker commitment, they're still 14th. And even with Michael Riley ducker I'm sure that maybe at best they move up to 13 when you look at the commitment totals. But is there a win total that you would say Auburn needs to hit this year to get people's attention and to elevate this program's recruiting from maybe what would just be a potentially mediocre class to maybe elevating it a bit and trying to get this thing in the top 20, top 15?
4: I think by the time Auburn plays a lot of its important games later in the year, I think a lot of these classes are going to be pretty much solidified. And I'm sure there's going to be some guys that want to wait till, you know, their early signing period. Then you'll have a handful that want to wait till National Signing Day. But, you know, I, I don't know how much of, uh, you know, if, if Arson goes out and and goes nine and three or ten and two somehow. I just I don't think. That record is really going to change what the recruiting class is going to look like this year. I, I think it could have a, a positive impact going into maybe your recruiting for twenty twenty three, which is going to be a ridiculously loaded class throughout the state of Alabama. That's all recruiting folks are talking about is how loaded the state of Alabama is for twenty twenty three. So that that would be great. I mean, as far as like the record that would catch people's attention, I think pretty much everybody's expecting Auburn to go seven and five or eight and four. So I think anything better than that would be a positive surprise. And then obviously I think you can get attention the other way too. If Auburn somehow goes six and six, which some people think could happen or, you know, somehow worse than that at five and seven, obviously that would get people's attention as well.
2: Something that uh, I was talking about earlier on the show is my frustration with Gus Malzahn in this offense in regards to the tight end position. I felt like last season, whenever we would try and get the ball to a tight end, it was in a gimmicky way. Obviously, we saw J.J. Begees get some touches out of the backfield, uh, but it, it was it was always in a gimmicky way. Same for Shanker. You know, the two touchdowns that he's caught during his time at Auburn, I believe, were either misdirection or just complete. Uh, they were they're complete trick place. and so my question to you is: Is there a position on this roster outside of the tight end? position that Malzahn has recruited and played in a gimmicky type of way that you would like to see Harson go out and get some more traditional type players and and make them play in more traditional type roles I know the offensive line specifically for me comes to mind immediately talking about Malzahn putting some defensive tackles there at that at some guard spots so is it does that feel a little gimmicky to you or there's some other positions on this roster that you think Auburn could go out and cr- recruit traditionally better?
4: What about uh, what about the quarterback position? That's I another. think they've done some gimmicky things there as well. I mean, obviously you've got your starters, but they've they've moved some guys around, or they'll put a you know John Franklin the third comes to mind, and then ways that they try to use Joey Gatewood, you know, when he was backing up Bo Nix, you know, during their freshman seasons. I think that's a that's a potential answer. Not all of them, but I mean, I think as a general rule, tight end's not a bad one. And then even some of the running backs, so how they've handled guys. I mean, you know, the way they mishandled Devin Barrett as he, you know, entered the transfer portal not too long ago. I mean, a lot of these guys come into Malzon's system or came into Malzahn system and got labeled as gadget guys, uh, like Harold Joyner. Like, why didn't they use him as just a normal running back? Same with Devin Barrett. So I think there's a handful of offensive positions where you could kind of point to and say, yeah, that was gimmicky because. We saw this at ton even with, like, even with, uh, like, with on Johnson, when he was a freshman, the way that he would, like, ease his running backs into his program would be to do, like, weird things with them. Devin Barrett, those swing passes. on Johnson, when he went in, uh, it was a lot of wildcat stuff. And it's like, why don't you just use those guys as, like, a backup running back? I don't know. Maybe. But um, that era is gone, and it's time to, uh, to look forward. But I, I think Harkin's just going to kind of, um, use guys in a more traditional way, which which should be positive, you would think.
1: Speaking with Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast, I'm sure you probably saw the news that broke yesterday about the owner of a Miami-based chain of uh, mixed martial arts gyms or a Florida-based chain of MMA gyms, Dan Lambert, planning $500 a month endorsement deals for every Miami Hurricane football player on scholarship which could be up to about $540,000 this year alone. And then he's talked about some other plans as well, and some of the quotes that he's had has been about how he wants to help improve the product on the field, and he started a corporation called Bring Back the U. This is an element of football recruiting that we only touched on a little bit when the NIL era began just last week. Your take on this and what's going on in Miami?
4: Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's great if you're Miami. I think it's great for the business owner for multiple reasons. He's able to support a team that he clearly cares about, an organization and a program that he cares about. Also, he gets to I, I think that's money well spent. I mean, people are talking about his business all over the country, so I think that's um, that is something. I love the capitalism side of all of that and the advantage that he has against all of his competitors in the Miami market. Miami's a huge market, so. I mean, we hear half a million dollars, but in Miami, you know, when you have a chain of businesses there, that's just a totally different ballgame. So I think it makes sense. I think it's great. And, and as far as, you know, I mean, we saw something similar with Arkansas. Like there was a, there's a Fayetteville based barbecue um, restaurant that like signed the offensive line to an endorsement. Like I think that's fantastic. Notre Dame's doing it too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think all of those, uh, those ideas are, are really good. I'm just thinking like in Auburn, if, You know, somebody like a butcher paper barbecue did that. I mean, that would be a big deal. And I think people would really, really reflect upon that positively. Um, I don't know. I'm looking forward to seeing, like, what his ads look like and what the social media posts and things like that look like. Like, what do they have to give in return? Because you can't just pay people. You have to get something back that comes in the form of name, image, or likeness. And so I wonder – if every scholarship player is going to be held to the same contract, do they just have to do one post a month for that five hundred dollars? I'm looking forward to those details. And if they're out there, I haven't seen them yet. but that's gonna be um, that's gonna be cool. It's also interesting to me, like the the information of some of these deals that leak. And it seems to be like anything having to do with Miami is leaking. Like, I don't know what that's about. Like, Eric <laughs> yeah. King signed early on, and it's like, oh, $20,000. Good for De'Aaron King. But, like, why is that our business? Why do we know what De'Aaron King's making? Why do we know that every Miami player is not going to get $500 a month for the foreseeable future with his deal? I think that's a little weird, but um, still, like, I, I think if that's if that's their business and he knows that if he releases that information, we're more likely to talk about it, I, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. But – Um, yeah I mean good for him
1: we we didn't really talk a whole lot about what this could mean for recruiting do you think that this could improve Miami recruiting and then ultimately actually improve the product on the field because based on some of his comments uh, he, he has said things like he says quote I want to this is from an ESPN article quote I want to improve the reputation of the school and the team I love so much I think it's a cool opportunity to get involved and make a difference and that same quote also said quote I want to help the kids I want to reward them for what they do and I want a better product on the field too do you think that he actually can make a difference in that way
4: I just wonder if you know if you're a four or five star kid from somewhere in Florida and you know Florida State's coming after you um, Dan Mullins are coming after you, and then you know several out-of-state schools are are coming after you. Is five hundred dollars a month going to be what puts you over the edge? And my guess is probably not. Um, that's just a hunch. I know we all come from from different backgrounds and things and values and and all that, but I'm sure it doesn't hurt Noah. But I, I can't imagine that being like the thing that's going to put them over the edge you know what i mean
1: right 100 percent zach i appreciate i appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today tell everybody where they can find all the great content you're putting out
4: yeah locked on auburn available wherever you get your podcast and then uh if you were in the auburn Opal ike lee county listening area that's listening on 1067 on 98.7 fm that's news talk wa and i i'm there from six to nine every morning and you can follow me on twitter at z blackerby always a pleasure to chat with y'all
1: zach hope you have a great afternoon my man thanks guys that was Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast with us this afternoon Jacob you've got something to add before we
3: go to break so about the Arkansas and the Notre Dame thing with offensive lines Nick Brahms yesterday actually did tweet
1: he did big news
3: coming for the offensive line soon and it involves a lot of beef so who knows what that can mean
1: yeah Auburn center Nick Brahms definitely need the offensive line to get beefier
3: yeah yeah, for sure
1: (laughs) would be nice (laughs) would be cool yeah, I mean, th- this Miami situation is interesting, and I want to talk about it when we come back. So we'll come back. We'll provide some of our thoughts on this. What does this mean in the in the NIL scope? It definitely looks like he's he's crossing his T's. Based off the ESPN article that I was reading earlier, definitely looks like he's crossing his T's and dotting his I's to make sure that he's following the rules and doing this the right way. But it, it also seems like he's... Uh, you know, or I'm not trying to make that sound contradictory. He, it just sounds like he's, he's definitely trying to, when he makes statements that says, I want a better product on the field too. Definitely seems like he's trying to find a way to maybe help improve the situation with the U right now. It's interesting, and I want to talk about that when we come back. You're listening to On the Line. Wrapping up hour number one of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 067 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Hillman behind the board with us today. Before we wrap up hour number one, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. A new season of Big Brother kicks off this evening at 7 on CBS. Two new episodes of game shows on ABC at 8. It's the $100,000 Pyramid, and following it at 9, card sharks will be on. Fox's lineup has a pair of cooking shows at 7. You can watch a new episode of Master Chef, and at 8, it'll be Crime Scene Kitchen. Some movie selections for tonight. Two old-school Adam Sandler movies are on Freeform. Mr. Deeds is at 6, and The Waterboy is at 8. Talk about old-school, Hoosers is on FM one at seven in live sports the stanley cup final continues with game five tonight at seven on nbc the montreal Canadiens snuck by in overtime against the lightning to avoid being swept 4-0 still with their backs against the wall the canadians look to avoid elimination yet again this time down 3-1 one mlb game is on tonight with the los angeles dodgers at the miami marlins at six on espn wnba basketball is on espn 2 with the dallas wings at the minnesota Lynx at seven i'm noah gardner and that's what's on tv tonight Got about five minutes here left in hour. Number one, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Jacob Hillman behind the board. Still talking a little bit about this Miami gym owner offering $500 a month in an endorsement deal for every Miami player on scholarship. And I want to talk about this from a recruiting standpoint. He's not paying recruits. That's not what's happening here. And I don't want people to to misconstrue that. But it, it definitely looks like a situation where he's trying to improve, A, the reputation of the school. And he's he it's almost in a way like, Creating, helping improve the environment in which these Miami players are at, right, by mm-hmm. giving them this an endorsement deal and their ability to make money, right, mm-hmm. which may encourage recruits down the line to think, oh, hey, I, I need to go to Miami to to go and play some football because I know I'm going to be able to get these great economic opportunities. But it's interesting. The the owner of American Top Team and a longtime Miami football fan, his name is Dan Lambert. He's offered each scholarship player on the Miami football team this year a monthly payment of $500 to advertise his gyms on social media. American Top Team is the home training facility for more than two dozen professional fighters including Jorge Masvidal and Amanda Nunes. So so high, this is a high-profile gym now and that would make sense how he's got the 540k to be able to do this right but you, you look at some of the quotes, and I, and I pointed this one out, quote, I want to help the kids. I want to reward them for what they do, and I want a better product on the field, too. I want to improve the reputation of the school and the team I love so much. I think it's a cool opportunity to get involved and make a difference. This is from an article on ESPN.com titled, Dan Lambert Plants $500 a Month Endorsement Deal for Every Miami Hurricanes Football Player on Scholarship. It's a good article. I mean, it's got pretty much everything you need to know about the situation right now, but thoughts on th- thoughts on this from a recruiting standpoint Lance
2: Well I think we we've we briefly touched on this the day before it ever the NIL was kind of set in motion it was it was June 30th that we were briefly touching on this talking about like well what if Auburn does something similar like this because they've got ties to Amazon and Apple what if they they just let every single player on roster have an iPad or what if they let everybody have like a discount to something on Amazon or something like that and I think you're going to see different companies big and small across the country doing Similar things to what this guy is doing in Miami, and I, I the way that he's phrasing it, you know, it's it's given back to the program, all those great things. But like whenever you get to some of these top tier programs like Alabama, Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, if they're doing things like this, that's just going to set them even further apart. Uh, than some other schools because recruits will come, recruits will come to those schools, and, and, and instead of smaller schools potentially, like even in Power Five, uh, Power Five conferences,
1: which so. we talked about this from from this standpoint of like big cities where there's big economic advantages compared to maybe smaller markets because there's more money right. in those cities. It's like, do they have an advantage because there's more economic opportunity in the area? Do they have an advantage in the recruiting trail versus an Auburn or a Kentucky or, or places like that that maybe don't have as much? economic opportunity because of the, the size of the market and i think this is kind of the first big one that maybe we're seeing at least reported on at the moment that and i and like zach said i, I don't think that this really moves the needle five hundred dollars a month but who's to say that more things like this doesn't come around and and i, I it's kind of like a loophole right <laughs> to like yeah. improve recruiting a bit you know because yep. he's not it's not like he's paying recruits once again this is all you know this is following the rules right here but it it, it does improve the environment that a recruit would walk into once they finally get on campus it's like it's like an amenity for it's an improving the amenities at the university of miami right
2: it's just that's another kind of way I it's see just it. another form of a booster right it's, like in a way it's legal
3: backmaning. <laughs> i don't that's, know if i'd take it that far that's still, say it that, i but. mean come on <laughs> is it not Is what it's going to turn into I don't know if I'd go that far to say because once again, I, 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 and I've been positive about NIL so sure. far, but I think that's the one thing that might get taken too far with.
1: I just I just say I, I think it's more of like improving. It's adding an amenity at the University of Miami, and recruits will see that and they're like, oh, I, I want that, right? Okay. And so, I mean that that is a possibility here. But then he also started a corporation called Bring Back the U, that will be focused on getting money to these Miami football players, the guys that are on the roster to help them get those NIL deals and whatnot. And I find that interesting. Once again, just like I I went back to, it's like adding this amenity to Miami football or that there's this amenity surrounding Miami football that would encourage these guys to come to the U, right? It's like resort a has something over resort b that catches your attention maybe a little bit more than resort b you might go to resort a right Right. based on the amenities yeah and that could be a situation here miami could be kind of getting a leg up from this based on something that a high profile member of the community is wanting to do around the university it's boosting (laughs) let's take a quick break here we got hour number two coming up at three o'clock you're listening to on the line
0: are on the line.
1: Five oh two. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun hour number one there. It just blew by. We had Zach Black of the Locked On Auburn podcast with us. If you missed that conversation, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Those are all of the great locations that you can find the On the Line podcast. We also talked a lot about Auburn football and the recruiting trail. Seems like things are trending in a very positive direction for Auburn to get tight end. Michael Riley ducker who should be making his decision at about 625. So about a half hour after the drive goes off the air, which will be coming up at 4 o'clock, an hour here from now, 4 to 6 as they do every weekday on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central alabama follow fox sports central alabama on facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports on the line the drive with bill cameron analysis news and more all on fox sports central alabama on foxsports983.com and on facebook that's foxsports983.com starting off hour number two here similar to how we started off hour number one i do want to talk a bit about the recruiting trail for anything that for anyone out there that maybe missed that conversation Micah Riley Ducker, things look like they're going in a good direction.
2: Yeah, so Micah uh, Riley Ducker got uh, six crystal balls thrown in his favor on twenty four seven Sports earlier today. He already had a crystal ball uh, in, his, in 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 Auburn's favor, but it was it was sitting at a, a three confidence out of ten. Uh, again, six uh, crystal balls thrown in Auburn's direction, and confidence wise, they were either ranked six or seven. And that was as of this morning. That was as of this morning, so things are trending uh, pretty quickly in Auburn's direction. And I uh, need to
1: remind everybody, last week there was four crystal balls, only four, and they were all for Iowa, right. and they were they were pretty low, a two or a three.
2: And that was something that we talked about in the first hour. You know, Iowa's been uh, prestigious in the fact that they have cranked out some really talented NFL caliber tight ends over the past few seasons, and for Auburn to potentially, I'm not saying that they have, but according to 24-7 Sports, some guys think that they will, toni- will tonight if Auburn was to go and to steal a guy like Riley Ducker out from underneath a, a program like Iowa. And it's right next door, Nebraska and Iowa border each other and it's regional it's it speaks to this coaching staff's potential uh, in, in terms of recruiting and it's something really exciting so I just like to see tonight see where Riley Ducker goes I have faith that he'll commit to Auburn so 6'6 235 you and I talked briefly about who what he could be in this offense I think he could definitely be a weapon you you uh, said that you were watching some tape earlier today and you don't necessarily see him as a blocking tight end something that he could definitely improve on was run blocking but his
1: highlights were rarely ever with him starting attached to the line of scrimmage
2: yeah so definitely you could see him de- in a, in a, in a pass catching role for the tigers once he steps on campus really exciting prospect really exciting potential weapon i'm not saying that he's eric gilbert but he definitely does have some qualities in the fact that he will go out there and actually catch a pass instead of what auburn's had uh in the past which is you know either gimmick gimmicky stuff with jj beguese or not really throwing the ball their way at all
1: something that i didn't mention in the first hour that just occurred to me what else is so important about this commitment here which I think Auburn's in a good spot for Caden's story out in Lynette. At least that seems like the perception there around that situation is that he should be coming to Auburn come August 1st. But this would be an indication that maybe Auburn's recruiting plan to recruit outside the Southeast, it could be an indication that it could work because it has been air silence. No commitments since February 25th. This has been a dry recruiting season. Now it is early, but a month has passed. And until yesterday, when Auburn landed a kicker, things really weren't looking great on the recruiting show. There was no momentum. Didn't seem like guys were extremely interested. It seemed like Auburn was trailing behind in several recruiting battles and that maybe Auburn's going to have a really dissatisfying recruiting season this year. But if they're able to get Michael Riley who is a highly sought-after tight end, considering he's a top 15 tight end, he's a four-star, this would be an indication that maybe Auburn's recruiting strategy outside of the, outside of the Southeast could be working.
2: And again, it's a a promising thing moving forward for this coaching staff. You and I have talked about the traffic light that we have going right now. You and I are both sitting at somewhat yellow. We're we're kind of cautious as to what this coaching staff could potentially do because we've not necessarily seen guys put pencil to paper yet. But even
1: if they get Michael Riley, Tucker and Caden Story, which at this moment, that is my belief, even if they do, I'm still at yellow.
2: I agree. I agree. Because if they do get Mike O'Reilly-Ducker, and if they do get Caden Story, they'll still be sitting somewhere between 14th and 12th or 11th in the SEC in terms of recruiting. And I'm not saying I expect Auburn to shoot up immediately. I'm not saying I expect Auburn to be the best team in the SEC in terms of recruiting. I'm just saying I want to see them get out of the basement as we approach college football, like as we approach the season. Well, I want to see them get just a couple more guys.
1: Let me pose it this way. And I understand people saying, I understand the argument and the excuse that it's the beginning of this coaching staff's tenure. Gus Malzahn left them in a bad way. Coronavirus definitely hurt them. I understand all of these excuses, and they're all valid. They're all true. But while those are true, it can also be true that it doesn't make me feel any better that those are true. Exactly. Because the fact of the matter is, Auburn could still finish eighth in the SEC in recruiting, still be top 25 in recruiting and finished eighth in the SEC, And that would be back-to-back classes where Auburn finished in the middle of the pack with six or seven other SEC teams in front of them. You know what that translates to down the line in three or four seasons? With back-to-back recruiting classes that finish like that? Seven and five. Or eight and four. They really don't put you in a position to compete for the SEC championship three or four years from now. So when you look at the trajectory of Brian Harsin, and I'm not saying this is how things are going to unfold, but in terms of talent right now, you look at this year, and I've gone on the record, I've been extremely positive about this year. I think Auburn's base this year. I think the worst they will do is 8-4. and four. Now, I've had a lot of pushback on that, but I think the worst Auburn will do this year is 8-4. and four. The talent is there for Auburn to be a team that really pushes to be at the top of the SEC West, to right. be better than LSU, to be better than A&M, to be better than some of those Eastern Division teams like Florida. Like I really think Auburn could be sitting in, in the top three of the SEC when it's all said and done at the end of this year behind Alabama Georgia I think they could finish there at three but that would be that would be at the high end of things I think you could realistically be looking at a nine and three Auburn team this year I think that's really where I stand right now the more I look at Auburn's schedule the more that I look at some of the other teams and we've been doing our Auburn football schedule analysis the more that I've been digging into Auburn's opponents especially early on and I'm looking at Penn State and I'm looking at LSU I feel really good like kind of almost too good about auburn being 4 and 1, 5 and 0 going into that Georgia game. Now still I think they lose to Georgia. You're sitting at 5 and 1 at that point, but I think that it's fathomable for them to rail off five straight victories after that Georgia game where they're better than Arkansas, they're better than Ole Miss, they're better than Mississippi State, they're better than South Carolina. And even if you lose even if you lose to A&M and you lose to Alabama, you still have a 9 and 3 regular season and you're sitting at 10 and 10-3 and three if you win your bowl game, which I think this coaching staff can do that. And you're looking at a New Year's Six bowl game as well under those parameters also, I think, because typically about typically two SEC teams are playing in a New Year's Six bowl game. so right. I, And I think Auburn would be in that place if they were to be ranked ahead of Florida and whatnot, which I think that they would have a shot to do that based off of what they'll be able to do in the non-conference and whatnot. But still, like... I'm, I'm positive about what Auburn's going to be able to do this year from a trajectory standpoint. I think you're looking at a 9-3, 10-2 season at best. I think you're looking at 9-3, those where I'm standing at right now. That's, that's where I feel like Auburn is projected for this year for, from, from when I look at this schedule. Next year, though, massive step back. Next year is not going to be a great year. And that's not necessarily Brian Harson's fault either. And granted, Auburn can hit up the transfer portal, and if they have a solid year like a 9-3 or maybe even shock some folks, or shock a lot of folks and go 10-2, and 11-1, they have some type of special year this year, then you're going to do better in the transfer portal mm-hmm. because folks are going to buy into what Brian Harsin is selling them. Because they have more wins, the recruiting in the transfer portal will improve and maybe you can avoid a setback year in 2022 next year. But you and I have talked about the roster outlook. You lose the entire offensive line and then several of the backups on that offensive line that are seniors. right? You lose a ton of talent. Now, skill position next year, you're going to be looking great on offense. You're going to have Bo Nicks back. You're going to have Tate Bigsby back. You're going to have all your receivers back. So skill positions look great, but at the heart of it, on the offensive line, where Gus Malzahn has been so poor at recruiting it, you've got some real problems there. And that could be enough to, to have Auburn lose some games that you probably don't want to see them lose next year. And then right. you lose a lot of talent on defense as well. You're you're probably losing both of your linebackers this season. I think you're going to lose upwards of three defensive backs this year, and then you're going to lose a couple of defensive linemen to graduation, like Tony Fair. You're also going to lose Tyrone Truesdale. It's still going to be a relatively young defensive line next year. You could lose Derek Hall as well. He could decide to go to the NFL. You could lose three-quarters of your defense next year. Next season's team will be extremely young, but what will be going for Auburn is experience at skill positions, like quarterback, running back, and wide receiver. Regardless of who's that quarterback, you're going to have a returning quarterback next year, whether it's Bo Nix or T.J. Finley. I, I don't expect the to go to the NFL after this year. I don't think he's right. going to have just like this incredible season where it would justify him leaving after his junior season. So next year, I think you see Auburn take a step back from this year. And maybe you're looking at a 7-5, and 8-4 and four Auburn team that maybe is still competitive with those five losses or four losses, but it is a setback. But then three, four years from now, that's when this first recruiting class for Brian Harson, you're looking at them being sophomores, and then you're looking at that – Gus Malzahn class that just signed this year in 2021, you're looking at them being juniors at that point, and those were classes that were ranked, you know, seventh or eighth in the SEC if not worse, and that's not good enough. That you're looking at an eight and four and still relatively young Auburn team at that time because then you don't have Bonex and you're breaking in a new quarterback. Right. I'm not trying to spell out doom for Auburn down the line, and I think by that point, three years from now, and you still have the transfer portal. Three years from now, you do have enough of Brian Harson and with the transfer border as well for him to be able to get his feet under him and at least from a player development standpoint, avoid disaster from a roster standpoint. But three, four years from now, you're still not looking from a recruiting standpoint where you're at right now as a top four, top five talented roster mm-hmm. in the league. But then again, you don't know what's coming in because I don't have a crystal ball in front of me to know what transfers are going to come to Auburn down the line, but just from a recruiting standpoint the numbers speak for themselves they right. do and that would spell out another 8 and 4 you know couple of seasons after that that that's not great from a talent perspective now there's still time for those things to change that's yeah. what I want everybody to understand things still there's still time for things to change but at the moment until recruits start coming in the door that's kind of the trajectory that you're on at this moment
2: right here's what frustrates me about recruiting as of right now like you just said It is objectively bad. There is no other way to say it other than last in your conference is not good. That's the way it is. I understand, completely understand that there are external external factors in this situation that this coaching staff couldn't have changed. That's okay. But it does not change the fact that we are still in a bad situation. It's like with Gus Malzahn. It's like during his tenure, it's like, oh, well, you know, we lost these guys to injury or whatever, or like, you know what, Jeremy Johnson wasn't what he thought we were, or he was. That's okay. We'll move on from that. Everything's going to be all hunky-dory, you know, everything's good. It's like, well, it does not change the fact that this is still a bad football team. It does not change the fact that this coach cannot beat... LSU, Georgia, Alabama on a consistent basis. It doesn't change that fact. That's why the coach. That's why this athletic department got rid of Gus Malzahn, and that's why they brought in Brian Harson. Is they don't want to be eight and four, seven and five, nine and three. They want to be competing for national championships. Otherwise, they would have kept Gus Malzahn, and every f- fifth or sixth year, f- fifth or sixth year, gone to an SEC title game. Moving forward the recruiting has to be better i'm not saying that it has to be better immediately because obviously there are going to be factors outside of what this coaching staff can fix that will that will change the trajectory of of their recruiting but they still have to be able to go out and recruit and they still have to be able to go out and recruit well so while there are some some fans out there that are saying like oh it's going to be okay like like it's good right now everything's fine it's things have to improve and again not saying it has to improve right now but as of this moment you are sitting at last in the SEC you have to improve on that and this athletic department expects you to improve on that because that's the reason they hired you
1: well also let me put this in perspective last year at this time Auburn was sitting around 40 45 somewhere right there with Gus Malzahn at the height of the pandemic Auburn was sitting there now fast forward a year, you're out of the pandemic, you actually can get guys on campus and Auburn's sitting at 80, 88 or whatever it is on 24-7 sports. Now how far did Gus Malzahn's class climb from 40 or 45 or whatever it was at this time last year? How high did it climb? Where did we finish? Like 19, 20. Right. So it moved up like 25 spots. 25 spots from 80 is still like 55. Now I'm not saying that Auburn's going to finish 55th. That's not at all what I'm saying, but I'm just saying there's a lot more ground to cover from where Auburn is at yep. right now than where Auburn was at last year at this time. So can Auburn climb 60 spots in the rankings? Right. It is and there is enough time to do that. But I'm not I'm not completely sold that this is going to get to be a top 15, top 20 class, which is kind of like even top 20 is not good enough because once right. again that's still like seventh in the sec and
2: we're talking about competing f- with the best of the best in the sec that's a re- again it's the reason they got rid of malzahn and to your point talking about the trajectory of this program auburn has to be able to lay a foundation right now in recruiting moving forward to that where sets they set them they, up for success yeah, four years exactly. from now or else
1: four years from now you're right back where you were with Gus Malzahn, and you're 8-4, and four and everybody's angry. Right, so
2: you can make all the excuses in the world, and some of them are valid. Some of them are valid. It does not It does not excuse the fact that you have to start being excellent now if you want to be excellent later. Yes. You have to start laying the foundation now. So what's going on right now during the summer, people may say, Oh, well, it's ridiculous. Alabama's fifth in the SEC. Auburn's only got three commits. They'll get more in the, the, the 24-7 sports uh recruiting rankings don't matter it does matter right now what Auburn is doing right now the foundation that are le- they are laying is important because two years from now they have to be able to compete because that's when they get Alabama and Georgia at home next season I don't expect them to do anything but when they get Alabama and Georgia at home I expect them to take advantage of it and the only way they're going to be able to do that is by recruiting to those standards or at least close to those standards because Brian Harson still can develop players
1: now with that being said it is early it is July. It is early. There is time to change that, but and there's definitely positive news out there. I, th- I think Michael Riley Ducker could be choosing to go to Auburn based off of some of those crystal balls, and I think you're going to get Caden's Story. And there is still time to have positive news occur on the recruiting trail to where to what everything that we're saying right now could be a completely different note come September fourth. Right. There. There is even two months in between us right now and the start of the football season where there's enough time on the recruiting trail for things to look a lot better but the only the point that i'm trying to illustrate right now is there is more ground for auburn to cover than there is for every other team of the sec to get where they want to be at and that that's people don't want to hear that people don't want to think about that but unfortunately that's the reality at this point point. And, and auburn is honestly if i was ranking toughest recruiting situations right there like going into their first seasons and or, or just period toughest recruiting situations 2022 who's got the toughest ones You'd say Auburn and Vanderbilt have two of the most difficult situations. You'd say these three teams, you'd say Auburn, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt. You'd say those three teams. Vanderbilt because it's Vanderbilt. You'd say Tennessee because of all of the issues that are going on off the field and the fact that that program was a dumpster fire a couple of months ago. And then you talk about Auburn because of some of the things that have happened under Gus Malzahn and how far back that they're sitting right now with this brand-new coaching staff and, right. and having not been able to build relationships coming from outside the southeast. I mean, Auburn is in one of the top 3 most difficult recruiting situations. That's an excuse that I'm even making. I'm just saying that it's still not good, still not good for right. the program to be in this situation, right? It's like folks are even excusing that and I think and I think that may even be taking it a little bit too far because like this is still it's still not a good situation to be in. And
2: here's the thing, like it's not I'm not I'm not saying that it's not going to get better. I expect it to get better. Same. I'm just saying that the situation in right now just because I expect it to get better doesn't mean the situation currently is is better.
1: Still a lot of work to do. A lot lot of work to do. Vanderbilt's even at 11th in the SEC right now. (laughs) A lot of work to get done, man. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we do coach, coordinator, fire. Find out what that is when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dalt with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text box at 334-564-1840. We want you to get in contact with us. What are your thoughts? Had a pretty good conversation there about recruiting. 334-564-1840. Coach coordinator fire. This is about to become one of my favorite segments every week. It's our edition of Start Bench Cut, and I'm sure people have heard that or have seen that on social media or whatnot but essentially you get a trio of individuals oftentimes with start bench cut it is you get a trio of players who would you start who would you bench who would you cut well we took that to the college football equivalent of coaching and we said coach coordinator fire so you choose a head coach of, of the trio a coordinator whether it be offensive or defensive and then you fire one of them so let's get after it i got three here and i'm pretty excited about it And if we don't have enough time in the segment to go through all three we will take this to the next segment because I'm proud of this group. But Auburn edition here, and, and maybe this isn't a nice thing for me to say. Actually, I, I just won't say it. But
2: I can say it for you. I'm, I'm willing to hurt some feelings.
1: <laughs> Gus Malzon, Gene Chizik, Tommy Tuberville. Last three head coaches for Auburn football. Gus Malzon, Gene Chizik, Tommy Tuberville. Coach, coordinator, fire. Jacob Hillman behind the board with us. Jacob, we're going to bring you into it too. But Lance, you go first.
2: I think there are so many there there every single option with this within this group i think there's there's opportunity that being said because
1: there was success for limited success maybe only one season but there was one really good year for all of these guys as head coaches yeah
2: that being said i think and i think you're on the same page i'd like to have malzahn as my head coach and then gene chizik as my dc because I could still have Malzahn call the plays like he did during his time at Auburn and have a good offense and what could potentially be a good defense. Or,
1: or an above-average offense, right, that, but, a, but an elite defense. That being said,
2: having Tuberville as your head coach and having Malzahn as your OC, I would not be mad at
1: either. See, and and what was funny about this is if you look at all three of them, it's funny, Tuberville had Gene Chiswick as his D.C., Malzahn had excuse me Gene Chizik had Malzahn as his OC and then Malzahn had had neither of these guys obviously as their coordinators but Malzahn and Chizik were, were coordinators for w- one of the other head coaches in this situation and you saw like really positive years from all these people I mean Gene Chizik won a natty out of this group Tom Tuberville didn't get to play for one but he went undefeated and finished third and won a Sugar Bowl and then Gus Malzahn went to a national championship so I think there's a positive way you can spend pretty much any combination here You you just spoke about Gus and Gene Chiswick, which was kind of my idea there, and I wonder if Gene Chiswick was the defensive coordinator instead of Ellis Johnson in two thousand thirteen to two thousand fourteen, if Auburn would have like actually won the national championship those two years. I think Auburn has a better chance of winning a national championship those two years if Gene Chiswick was the defensive coordinator. Like if Gus Malzahn and Gene Chisick switched jobs for two thousand thirteen to two thousand fourteen, maybe Auburn wins a national championship one of those two years, do, which is funny, but
2: do we beat Florida State simply because we have Gene Chiswick?
1: See, but obviously, you know, Gene Chizik was the head coach before. So, like, if Gene Chizik wasn't the head coach before, then then yes, I think so. But
3: I think the only bad option here is Chizik as the head coach, and Tuberville as the coordinator.
1: Of course, I would. I, I, I didn't even think ol- about that as an option. I think
3: that's the only <laughs> like. But really like, bad Tuberville, option. But
1: we saw Tuberville with head coach and Chiswick as D.C.
3: No, yeah, that's what I'm saying. The, only, the, only, 12, bad 13 0. Option, the only bad option is Chiswick as head coach and Tuberville as coordinator, there which was, he'd be defensive coordinator.
1: I actually don't even like Gus as head coach and Tuberville as coordinator either, though. No. Like, there was no scenario where I evaluated Tuberville as a coordinator. I mean, you could, but I did think Tuberville as head coach and Gus as O.C.
3: That's And Tuberville as head coach pick. and Gene Chizik as D.C. My pick is Tuberville Sell as head coach that. and Gus Malzon as offensive coordinator because –
1: get tony franklin vibes from that but sell me on it
3: well i don't think so because i th- that's what i'm saying is i think in thinking about it, in 2008 if instead you have gus malzahn instead of tony franklin
1: tommy tuberville's probably still coaching
3: correct and 2009 would have been my lord that could have been the year which you don't have cam newton but it could have been a better year you might make a, a better new year's day bowl or something like that but the, the point is is that tommy tuberville really kind of was consistent with Auburn, and won bigger games than Gus did. But Gus has the explosive offense. And, of course, as you said, we saw what happened with Tommy Silverville and Gene Chizik together. They went, in 2004, undefeated Sugar Bowl. Well, remember what the problem was? Style points. That's part of why the excuse is Auburn didn't get in. Gus Malzahn probably brings their style points. And I think that could be the difference.
1: Yeah, these are these are all really good takes. This is a hard one.
3: This is such a hard. I like said the, there's only one one that's bad.
1: I I have respect for all of these three coaches, so I it, that was why it was hard for me. I like I think Tompkins was the most successful head coach of this group too, though. Mm-hmm. So like this one, I also wanted to include that, but that was an interesting one. Let's move on to the next trio. This is the trio of egotistical offensive minds: Jimbo Fisher, Dan Mullen, Lane Kiffin.
2: I think for this one, for me, you you. You have to put Lane Kiffin as your O.C. Like, I would, I would much rather have Lane Kiffin over Fisher and Mullen as my O.C. because
1: Even though Dan Mullen's been an extremely successful offensive mind. I was saying, Mullen's mind.
3: number two easy.
2: Yeah, Mullen is number two easy. So the question is, is, who do you want as your head coach? And when you look at these guys in terms of like ability to build a program, I mean, Dan Mullen kept Mississippi State competitive, and it's really, really hard to win at that program. And he's got Florida competitive. Uh, at the same time, Jimbo Fisher's also won a national title, and so the question then is like, okay, well, if if Jimbo's your 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 head coach and Lane is your OC, like if you're going to go win a national title, what do you need? And you need a really good quarterback or a really good offense, Lane I Kiffin think. Will get you that. And Lane Kiffin will get you that. So I think Jimbo. And Lane is good. But I also think Dan Mullen is your head coach and then Lane is your OC. Of course, that could be conflicting because they may have different styles. I, I don't know.
1: There's something about the personalities of Jimbo Fisher and Dan Mullen didn't feel like they mixed well for mm-hmm. me. I went the same direction that you went, Jimbo Fisher, head coach. He's the best program manager, best recruiter of this group. Look at where A&M's recruiting consistently year in and year out. And you see where they're at on 24-7 sports' blue chip rankings. This guy's more of a program manager. I like his ability to manage the situation with recruiting and whatnot better than his ability as an OC and better and I like his ability to manage a program better than Dan Mullen and Lane Kiffin at this point now the way that we view Dan Mullen could be vastly different as I know you were pointing out off air Jacob Dan Mullen could be extremely successful in the next couple of years, and then we could be thinking about him in a better light than we could be thinking about Jimbo Fisher. There's still time for that to change.
3: And, and another thing with Jimbo's recruiting is also do you give credit to Texas, like Texas A&M as a program? You know, they are the... He recruited
1: really well at FSU. Yeah, he
3: did. But, I mean, for me, Dan Mullen, the way he... what he I mean, did guys at Mississippi aren't coaching State, at
1: Northwestern in these hypothetical situations. Yeah, <laughs> right.
3: The, Dan Mullen at Mississippi State and what he's done so far at Florida, it's just been... More impressive to me than what Jim O's done at Texas A and M, and other than that national championship season, what he's done at Florida State. Of course, he was having to deal with Clemson, well, and now he's having it, to deal with Dan Alabama. Mullen's already
1: got a trip to the SEC championship. He's already won a division,
3: right. and that, and that's what off the air when I was talking about. In a few years, I'm already looking at it different. If he goes to another SEC championship in the next two years, means I think everyone assumes George is going to do it. Then that makes Dan Mullen probably number two in SEC and head coaches I think that's where I, where I would rank him wow. he's definitely up there
1: for me for what he did at Mississippi State I think he's one of the see but then Dan Mullen does stuff sometimes that really you scratch your head man you're like how did y'all lose that ball yeah game? he's <laughs> so let's take a quick break here we come back talk a little Auburn football schedule analysis Texas and Maggie's Aggies are on the docket for today Back on all the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Just had a fun edition of Coach Coordinator Fire. We want to hear your thoughts on it. Gus Malzahn, Gene Chizik, Tom Tuberville. Who are you taking as your head coach? Who are you taking as your coordinator? And then who are you letting go out of that group? uh, Jacob, you went with Tuberville and Malzahn. And then Lance and I went with Malzon and Gene Chizik, so not a whole lot of love for Tommy Tuberville in here. But I will say Wait, this:
3: No, I went Tuberville, Malzon.
1: Yeah, that's right. Okay. I said that. Yeah, but okay. still, just not not a ton of love yeah. in the studio. For but I'll tell you this: I miss the Tommy Tuberville days. The
3: issue is because he doesn't really fit in as a coordinator that well.
1: That's right. Yeah, there was really there was no option there for for me to play some music. Mizzou- you MCO. could say
3: Malzon Tuberville, but like, ugh.
1: I'll say this: I miss those days. Because Auburn didn't take, didn't take anything from anybody, right? Like Auburn was not going around getting blown out. You might lose a game here or there that you shouldn't have. Looking at Arkansas, a lot of times, like there, there were some games where you got tripped up. I'm not saying that Auburn didn't ever get blown out, but Auburn played hard every time, regardless of who regardless of who they were playing against whether it was a a number one ranked LSU team or those Florida Gator teams that had Tim Tebow like that was that team's personality like they 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 were a hard-hitting defensive they they were I miss those days definitely something's changed in the culture of the Auburn program it feels like
2: yep yep I I agree with you I I can't really speak to uh what Tuberville was able to do specifically for like on the field stuff because I wasn't. I wasn't quite oh, aware of Very even young yeah, that even the existence of Auburn football or the quality, at least.
1: <laughs> let's get away from coach coordinator fire now. Auburn football schedule analysis. We are getting to November. Yes, we we are at the end November season here for Auburn. Those final four games, and we are to Texas A and M now. And Lance, you've got your grades. I'll touch on some of what you've got for him as well. Let's get after it.
2: All right. Let's start. With offense, and let's start with the quarterback. Haynes King is the projected starter for the Texas A&M Aggies this season. After uh, the Aggies lost Kellen Mond to uh, to graduation uh, last year, Haynes King, I believe he's he's played incredibly sparingly for. The Aggies during his time last season. Just looking at some numbers that Athlon Sports put out, he was four. Or he was two of four for fifty-nine yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Something interesting to note that that touchdown that he threw was a forty-yard touchdown against South Carolina. I uh, just want to th- throw that out there. I don't think there's a whole lot behind it, but I think it is something interesting to note. Um, I think this quarterback room. There's a really. It's really difficult to gauge where King is at right now as a quarterback because again, we just haven't seen a whole lot from him. I think the offensive line is going to hold up for Texas A&M this season. We'll get to that in a minute. I think this it's safe to say that this room, and specifically Haynes King, is C. I don't think he's worse than average in college football. I think right now it's fair to say that he's average.
1: But this still may be one of the worst quarterback rooms going into 2021 of in the SEC. From a starting point perspective. may not end that way, but I, I think you'd have to rank this group pretty low.
2: One of. Hang on, let me now look. That
1: still may be. Now, that still may be in the scope of all of college football average because some of your worst sec quarterbacks are definitely yeah. average in college football but because we don't know anything about this group i think it's fair to say if you're ranking them as a c they're in the bottom they're in that bottom portion maybe not bottom four but they're in the bottom half there's a lot of quarterbacks i'd rank in the sec above haynes king right now
2: i would put them yeah i'd put them at eighth i put a and at eighth or ninth i think that's fair i think that is fair so,
1: so. I, and I've got an interesting note about their scheme last year and some of the things, you know, it's, we, we've called Kellen Mond check down Charlie a lot, mm-hmm. but this is funny. This is a little bit of a paradox here. You don't see this too often. And Pro Football Focus's preview magazine here, they've got a breakdown of scheme and play calling and in pass plays here, which a and was actually 96 in the country in pass play percentage. So they, they really ran the ball a lot last year. But get this, when they break it down via what types of pass plays were being called a and was 101st in the country in screens called. So they really didn't call hardly any screens. And then deep pass, they were 118th. So they had to live somewhere in between the deep ball and at the line of scrimmage. And you go and look at their 2020 heat map for targets, and that's exactly what it tells you. The hottest part of the heat map for Texas a and is roughly 10 to 12 yards down the field, smack dab in the middle of the hashes. I did not expect that whatsoever. I didn't expect that either. And so I take this back to the fact that we saw Kellen Mond able to do that. And you talk about this scheme. Does it shift for a freshman quarterback? And is this freshman quarterback able to make that throw where there may be linebackers hovering, where there may be tighter windows hovering in the middle of the field, and you have to make quicker decisions and tougher decisions than you have to make throwing out into the flats? M's coldest parts on this heat map. Would be where a bubble screen would be thrown right. or something thrown to the sideline does that change this year how does this offense how does this offense shift with a new quarterback coming in
2: well i think and it, a new offensive line it definitely could because i think they do have the weapons to put some guys in the flat and make them make somebody miss in space specifically specifically you look at their receiver anaya smith and then you also look at their backup halfback uh, Devin how would you pronounce his last name you pronounced it earlier and I always mispronounce it
1: I went with a cane a
2: cane yeah okay so Devin a they their backup halfback I think those are two guys that you could definitely see get some some screens some bubble screens some passes thrown out in the flat and I think Haynes King will be comfortable doing that something else that I think that you could also see this Texas a offense do is I think you could see them stretch the field just a little bit because whenever you do get those one-on-one matchups you're not throwing into tight windows you're just throwing it down the sideline to make your receiver go up and, and get the ball so I think you could see King also also make those type of throws so I'm with you I don't necessarily think this there's going to be a dramatic shift in the way this offense operates but I do think you're going to see the ball uh, be be put in places that it was not last season specifically like you mentioned in the flat and then occasionally I think you'll see more deep shots more often than last year's Aggies team
1: now AM may have the skill position players to do that because as you pointed out extremely deep receiving core I believe pro football focus yes pro football focus has them rated as the second best receiving core going into the 2021 season and honestly with a brand new offensive line that may not be adept at pass protection which they've got a pretty good left tackle and kenyon green who i don't believe actually gave up a sack last year he had you know kellen 300 pass attempts and didn't give up a sack which is extremely impressive so i think they've got left tackle hammered down but across the rest of the offensive line is it good enough in pass protection for them to allow haynes king to sit back and have the time he needs to be able to make those tough decisions across the middle of the field that Kelamon was able to do last year at a really high percentage because he didn't hardly throw in any interceptions, so only had three picks. Right. He was extremely efficient from a completion percentage standpoint. He really wasn't too much of check down, Charlie. Maybe we were unfair to that when you look at the heat map. It just always seemed like he was living within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. But in reality, he was at his most effective 10 yards and beyond uh, in in between the hashes and that's really difficult passes to make because there's a lot of congestion in the middle of the field will haynes king be able to do that i do think that the system shifts a little bit to more of a simple rpo screen based offense to account for his youth and his decision making and a new offensive line my question is does the simplification of the scheme and how much of that does occur does that make this a&m offense worse Right. The skill positions are there. The quarterback in the O line is not. And I'm really right. asking myself right now when evaluate with evaluating AM right now, does it make them two two games? three games worse than they were last year right right well I think that's possible
2: let's look at the other concern on the offense then outside of quarterback being the offensive line I have them great as as a B and I know they only returned one starter from last year's unit and last year's unit I don't know what pro football Focus's numbers are were on them last season but from what I understood that they they were incredibly talented the maroon goons were were not to be messed with and you look at their offensive numbers and they were efficient they had over 200 yards rushing and 230 yards passing I I would say that's that's an incredibly bad balanced efficient offense I I, I like those numbers 32.6 points per game I'd be incredibly happy with that if I was a fan but again they only bring back one starter from that offensive line I don't I don't know how good this offensive line could potentially be but I think it's going to be I think it's going to be decent just based on what you're looking at some of these guys recruiting rankings I believe every single guy on this on this starting lineup for the offensive line is at least a four-star i might be wrong on that i think one of these guys is a five-star i'd like to go i I should go check during the break but i believe every single guy is is at least a four-star so that does give me hope there's not a whole lot of experience there's reason to be optimistic i think it's slightly above average in college football based on a&m's ability to recruit and the fact that it is texas a&m so i'll say it's a b even though there's not a lot of production returning
1: Pro football focus grades, which once again, I really like these because it provides an analytical approach, but you do sometimes have to take it with a grain of salt. There is there is still something to be said about eye test, right? And, and watching get football from that perspective and from an analytical perspective. So take this for what you will. But the pass block grade for AM last year was 61.6 versus a run blocking grade of 83.8. I, I don't know if it's that drastic of a difference. And I don't know if pass blocking was that average for AM last year. But I do think that you could say that AM was a better run-blocking offensive line last mm-hmm. season based off of those statistics than them being a pass-blocking offensive line. And now they've lost all that. That still goes back to what I was saying about this group having to shift their scheme, something else scheme-related here. I talked about screen percentage versus deep pass percentage, and AM ranked very low there. A&M went to five-man protection 80% of the time that they threw the football last year. That was eighth in the country. Five-man protection means... Four wide or five wide. Aiden went to went to it that much do you trust a young offensive line at this point to do five-man protection that much
2: No especially not not with a young quarterback as well operating the system I would not I think the scheme does shift and then also you have to think well if they were throw, not throwing the ball a whole lot last season and they weren't incredibly good at blocking for it how much are they going to do it this season with a freshman quarterback I think they're going to rely on Isaiah Spiller and let's go ahead and get to him in this running back room I think they're going to rely on Spiller and some of these other guys uh, pretty heavily. Uh, I rank this group as somewhere between a B and an A. I think this group is good. I think they're borderline elite, but I don't think that they're necessarily necessarily elite. I think it's fair to say that they're a B. Isaiah Spiller, you look at some of his numbers from last season, 188 attempts, over 1,000 yards, 1,036 to be precise, 5.5 yards per carry, and nine touchdowns. His backup averaged 8.5 yards a pop and had four touchdowns. And then Aniah Smith, the receiver, also had 293 yards six six yards per carry and then four touchdowns as well so I definitely think there's that there is uh, some promise within this group and I really like what I what we what we see out of the starter and spiller I think it's close to elite I don't think it's it's quite there so I think B is a very fair grade and then also something else to consider is is this offensive line going to benefit the run game or is A&M just going to have to run the ball more because of their freshman quarterback situation and
1: are they going to be good enough right to run the ball like like is Isaiah Spiller good enough for A&M to focus on him at this point point? and I think he's I think he's a really good running back I think he's got a lot of talent that could really translate well to the NFL considering he's also able to catch the ball out of the backfield I just have a lot of questions brand new quarterback and a brand new offensive line is a bad combination one or the other you can survive with like if you've got a really good quarterback but brand new offensive line you might be able to overcome the offensive line issues and vice versa if you got a brand new off or if you've got a veteran offensive line you might be able to help elevate the young quarterback's play because you can get them protection you can do more things but both brand new it, it 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 has given me major like that's a major red flag when I've been evaluating AM throughout the offseason and a big reason why I think they take a big step back this year last year a 9 win team went 9 and 1 so they were a one loss team last year I think you're looking at an eight and four AM team, but you've brought up the schedule right. as a criticism to that point. You're like, where's four losses come from for right. AM? And I think that's a fair assessment too. They have a very favorable schedule.
2: That's and something I was about to say is like I, I do I I agree with you. I think this team is going to take a step back because not every single freshman quarterback. Uh, steps into a situation and, and finishes fifth in the country or better not everybody's trevor lawrence all right but, no but
1: record wise they still may look pretty good
2: yeah they still may look pretty good but it be simply because of their, their schedule deceiving i like that but again you look at their schedule it's like kent state colorado new mexico state arkansas and mississippi state to open up the season before you go and take on alabama they should be Four and one, five and oh, right.
1: Now, extreme case here though, you get into October 9th through November twenty seventh, which is the midseason point to the end of the year. They play Alabama, Missouri, South Carolina, Auburn, Ole Miss, Prairie View A and M and LSU. And if this was just disaster moment for A and M this year and the quarterback position did not work whatsoever. Four losses. Oh, I could see five. I can see lose to Alabama, Missouri, Auburn, Ole Miss, and L S U. Okay. Especially cool if Ole that. Miss is as good as people think they could be this year. Now, that was if it was disaster moment. I don't think that that happens. But even if it's not disaster moment... I still see three losses there Alabama Auburn and LSU right or switch out LSU for Ole Miss or Missouri I I, I could still see three losses there
2: and it's not like it's not a great difference I'm saying that I see I see a a step back as a as a three loss team in 2021 and you're saying you see them as a step back as a four loss team in 2021 there's not a whole lot of difference there but we we're both on the same page we don't think this A&M team is going to be as good as last
1: year's even if their record is nine and three like this could be like the worst nine and three team in college football next year really Mm -hmm. actually be the caliber of an 8-4 a really good 7-5 team but they played a favorable schedule that, that's something to account for the, the thing that scares me the most is the A&M offense my beef is not with that defense and we talk about that defense when we come back it's pretty darn good and they return a lot of talent on it slowly got better to now to where they're one of the best units in all the SEC we'll be back to wrap up the show when we come back hey. wrapping up the Wednesday edition of on the line Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama number to call 334-321-1390 text line at 334-564-1840 still just a little bit of time we got about five minutes left in the show so if anybody wants to squeeze in and provide some comments you've got time to do it 334-321-1390 if you missed any of our conversation today go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast we're talking about Auburn football schedule analysis here we're on into November now four more games left we're about to wrap up a so really only three Texas a and Aggies we've talked about our concerns for the offense we really have no concerns about the defense
2: no we don't every every single unit I have on the defensive side of the football is graded as a B I didn't I didn't give my grade for the wide receivers I also have them as a B so everything's graded a B on this entire team except for quarterback which I have graded as a C but let's start with that defensive line uh, I think they are. They were exceptional last season. They bring back two starter, three starters from that unit. They were second nationally in rushing yards allowed per game. That was also second in the SEC. I believe Georgia was first in the SEC and first overall nationally. Um, they didn't. They they didn't do a ton in terms of sack production. Um, let me let me take a look here. I had it pulled up. Yeah, So there they were 27th nationally in team sacks per game, which is good. But as you mentioned during the break, I believe you have some numbers on their blitz percentage.
1: Yeah, they only blitz like nineteen percent of the time, according to Pro Football Focus, which had them at like one hundred and eighteenth in the country. Right, hardly ever blitz.
2: So if they blitz more, they probably be, probably be much higher on that list, and they would probably be elite. But but
1: what happens to pass coverage under that scenario?
2: Exactly, exactly. So I, I think they're I think they're very talented. I don't think that they're a material. I think they're close. But I think B is a pretty fair fair shake for some of these guys. And you look at linebackers, I believe they bring back two of their top three tacklers from last season and, and both of them are from this linebacking core. Um, I think that that again it's just a, it's a solid group. AM recruits well, AM plays well. I don't think that they're elite. I think they're solid B tier linebackers. I think I think that they're good, but I don't think that they're great. And then you look at the defensive backs. All five starters returned from a unit that was second in the SEC in passing yards allowed per game last season. That be was
1: borderline an A as a unit.
2: Yeah, it was, it was. only 56 nationally, though. And you look at you look at in terms of like in all of college football, I think like 65th is like literally dead on average. So I, I think it's fair to say that this unit is a B. But at the end of the season, I think it's also very fair to say that this it could be an A. But
1: Just splitting hairs there. Yeah, A and M collectively, it's it's a collective effort for the defense. There there may not be any individual or any individual position group that you'd say, yes, that is an elite unit in the SEC. that None of that comes to mind for A&M. But as the collective, they don't give up a whole lot of points. How many points allowed last year?
2: 21.7. I do want to point out this real quick, actually. I was just looking at points per game. It's weird. 21.7 points allowed per game was only 28th nationally. And you would think with all the high-flying offense that we saw last season that 21 points a game would get you in the top 25. But surprisingly, it didn't. And That's kind of it-
1: like... That actually maybe is a little bit higher than it than it like I think that's t- higher than it typically is though for that.
2: What do you mean? Like at 21- twenty one? Well, twenty
1: one still like although in our mind like that's still pretty good. That's still not one of the best. Like that that's that's probably not going to get you inside the top 30 some years
2: right and what I was just saying like for last year based on how much especially how much offense we saw in the SEC I'm surprised that 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 didn't crack the, yeah. the top 25 that's it's fair. close but I would moved
1: it up a little bit yeah maybe not as much as we thought yeah that's right still as a collective though the fact that they only allowed 21.7 points allowed per game like like we said maybe no position group at a;m just like jumps off the page other than maybe the secondary for me because I like I like the fact that they bring back all five starters but although no unit just jumps off the page you're like man as the collective these guys do not let folks score no they make it tough
2: and they 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 also it's really really hard to even gain yards on them they were first in the sec in total yards allowed per game last season at 317.3 and that was ninth nationally i mean these guys did not did not they did not break
1: How much does this unit suffer from struggles on the offensive side of the ball?
2: I think that definitely is a concern, but at the same time, I really like Mike Elko. I really like the production they bring back on this defense. I believe it's 57th nationally uh, in terms of returning production on the defensive side of the football. A and M actually collectively is 99th nationally whenever you average out both offense and defense. But I'm I I would be excited for this unit. I don't think that it's going to change things dramatically. Um, that being said, I do think it is going to be somewhat of a factor, but this defense will hold its own in the end, I believe.
1: The big question for AM, do they figure out the quarterback position? The schedule gives them time. Kent State, Colorado, New Mexico, Arkansas, Mississippi State are the first five games. Honestly, should be five and0 regardless of that quarterback situation. But does it actually get better across those five games and prepare them enough? For the back half of the season, that features Alabama, Missouri, South Carolina, Auburn, Ole Miss, Prairie View, A&M, and LSU, where you and I pointed out uh, a nice group of potential losses for A&M. Still, though, the schedule is definitely favorable. They don't have to play Clemson in the non-conference like they did a couple of years ago. Favorable non-conference schedule, and and, and honestly, a relatively favorable conference schedule as well. So, room for this A&M team to still be good, but you wonder if the record actually if it justifies it or not right Mm -hmm. that's it for the wednesday edition of on the line we'll be back with you tomorrow same time same place stay tuned for the drive with bill cameron following us from four to six we'll see you tomorrow you know where to find us